Hello Woodworms, I'm Ray Defterius and this is the Hand Tool Book Review, the podcast for people who love woodwork and love reading about woodworking too. Have you ever wondered which plain book is the biggest book on planes? The number eight, if you will, of the plain book world? Are you ready to sit down and work your way through 350 pages of a really entertaining book? Or are you just a fan of Chris Schwartz? Regardless, I think that Hand Plane Essentials by Christopher Schwartz is definitely one of the modern go-to books for anyone interested in hand planes. When I was writing books or articles, one of the hardest things to get right was the concept of a good voice. It's that selection of words and phrases that make a topic yours. An almost unconscious mastery of writing that allows the reader to hear the author speaking in their head. I think that this is the defining characteristic of what makes this book so unique. I'm sure it would be possible for another expert on planes to put together a book that is comprehensive, well illustrated, and fill it with the same amount of context and history. But it wouldn't be Chris talking to you in your living room and conveying his love of planes. Make no mistake, the book is not without flaws. I think that by its nature, the book should be thought of as a series of articles covering different topics that have been collected together in the book. If you'd spend 20 years snipping out articles from magazines, taking photostats from books, and just generally selecting things that you found really enjoyable and put them into a folder, loosely organized by topic, I think you've got a good idea of how this book has been constructed. In the main, it works well. And I read a post from 2017 where Chris explains that revising and expanding the original book took him three months of full-time work. So the book is up to date with his recent views on the subject, and the revisions have made sure that you're not going to read some antiquated references. The book is thorough and cohesive. I'd suggest a book like Garrett Hacks is slightly more cohesive, in that it feels like it was a book that was planned from start to finish, and Chris's book, on the other hand, feels like it's been adapted from previously published and existing material. But I didn't find the repetition to be annoying. In many ways, it just reinforces important points. And because the articles and chapters have originated from standalone articles, every section is cohesive, and that means you can jump around to your heart's content. It's nice to be able to pick it up, have a good quick read, and have everything relevant presented to you in one go. It's valuable as a book that would be used as a reference book from years to come. For a cover-to-cover read, Hack's book, again, might be better organized, and it might be more succinct. But for sheer entertainment, Shorts gets my vote. I think that it's clear that his years of journalism have really honed his writing style. Schwartz states at the beginning, This book is a compilation of a lot of the things I've written about hand planes during the last 15 years, but it will always be incomplete. No matter how many years I work with hand planes, there is always something more to learn. I'd say that's half true. It's definitely a compilation, but if you read and assimilate this book, I'm sure that you'll have substantially covered everything there is to know about planes. Right from the first page, it's clear what we're in for in the book. The author outlines his reasons for loving planes quite clearly. Most power tool woodworkers assume that I do this all because of some political choice, that I have an affection for the pre-industrial age, that I live off the grid with goats, granola, and two grimy children. But nothing could be further from reality. I own a full suite of machinery in the shop for the brutal processing of rough timber. Instead, The reason I use hand planes is that I believe they are the most highly evolved woodcutting system ever developed. Schwartz is no Luddite or hand tool only purist, but having had access to woodworking machines that most of us can only dream about, he acknowledges that while using a plane will take a bit of skill, the results are significantly better than what can be achieved with machines. 
So how's the book organized? Reading the titles of some of the sections can be a bit cryptic. No More Iron Bananas gives you a bit of a clue, but Friends, Cronovians, Countrymen might have you stumped. Broadly, the book is grouped into the following sections. Basics, Sharpening, Techniques, History and Philosophy, and Reviews. So let's start at the beginning. Basics begins with the mindset needed for using the tools. There's a bit of philosophy subtly slipped in here. I'm pretty sure that Schwartz's paraphrasing of woodworkers' reluctance to try new techniques links back at least in part to Pi's workmanship of certainty versus workmanship of risk. However, I think that the part of the section that is most critical and has become to be associated with Chris is a section entitled Coarse, Medium and Fine. It's a woodworking philosophy that can be traced back to other writers and it's certainly not a new concept. But I think Chris has been a modern day evangelist of this approach. What is it? Well in a nutshell, it's about using the right tool for the job. It sounds trite and simple, but it's actually overlooked surprisingly often when people pick up planes for the first time. If you're not using a random orbital sander to take an inch off the edge of a board, why are you complaining when a smoother setup for a fine cup takes a horrendous amount of time to reduce an edge? I guess the problem with plane is that in the popular imagination they're all lumped into the same headspace, where in reality a scrub plane is about as far removed from a smoothing plane as it's possible to get. In fact, they could probably have called a scrub plane a saw for all the similarity it has to a router plane. Mike. An internet friend of mine who has recently gotten into hand planes was taking a really long time to flatten stock for a workbench. It's safe to say that his initial, somewhat frustrating, somewhat exciting foray into hand tools would have been easier if he'd been handed a scrub plane as his first plane. I'm pretty sure that in a few years we'll look back and laugh and he'll vouch for the fact that if you want to get something flat fast, a line Nielsen 40.5 is a lot easier than using a number 4 with a tight mouth. And it's safe to say that coarse, medium and fine could be applied to all the tools in your arsenal. I'll quote Shannon Rogers from the Hand Tool School here. The fastest way to flatten a board is often with a saw. If you want to get rid of cup, sometimes sizing parts with a saw will mean you don't have to take a plane to the entire board. I'm probably not doing this topic justice. I suggest you read the section and try hard to apply it to everything you do. Sure, it takes a bit of courage to use a fro to split an oak board along its length, and you'll probably want to give yourself a bit of wiggle room. But it's incredibly rewarding if you learn how, and when to do it. And it's the kind of technique that's going to make you laugh at the idea that hand tools are slow. I went to a local woodworking shop the other day and showed them a picture of the bowl that I'd just turned. The thing that blew their mind was that I was processing the stump with hand tools. They were like, don't you have a bandsaw? Don't you have a chainsaw? Why did you do it like that? I sat there and thought about the few minutes it took me with a couple of wedges and a fro to split the wood into the rough shape that I wanted. I really believe that this was faster than working with power tools. Likewise, getting back to our planes, a scrub is one of the easiest ways to reduce an edge a bit. And in a similar way, a jointer will give you edges for panels that no machine, well, no affordable machine that I'm aware of, will ever match. But in the same way you don't use a putter on the tee to drive your ball, Try and make sure the width and thickness of shaving you are taking is appropriate to the task at hand. Chris talks through his five myths about hand planes early in the book, and I'll state them here as a bit of a teaser. Myth 1. Hand tools are slow. Myth 2. Hand tools are less precise than machines. Myth 3. Hand tools require a lot of skill. Myth 4. Simple hand tools aren't cut out for complex work. 
and Myth 5, Hand Tools Are Cheap. I think Chris successfully rebuts each one of these myths, and in particular the last one resonated with me. Hand tools aren't cheap if you're buying the best ones you can afford, but let's also concede here that the premium manufacturers of today are building tools that will last well beyond your life. I firmly believe that when my grandkids inherit my bronze smoother from Lai Nielsen or my tenants saw from Bad Axe, they'll be receiving tools that have had a lifetime of use and are still premium, quality, usable tools. There's not much else you can buy in a shop today that you can say that about. The section on where to begin has some good references in it, and it was nice to see some references to books I've reviewed and a few that are on the list to be reviewed. We're then off on a whistle-stop tour of the Benchplane numbering system. There's pragmatic advice here on which models to ignore and which are going to be an important part of your collection, and some hints at which ones would be best acquired, new versus antiques. This part of the book has some good guidance about how to blend hand tools and power tools, and which four planes are essential for the power tool shop. The bench plane has three jobs in the workshop. To straighten, to smooth, and to remove. And it's against this backdrop that the bench planes are explored. This includes bevel up and bevel down planes, and I think by the end of this section, you'll probably have cleared up which planes you need to get. Chris also puts down his essential set of hand planes. It's not short. There's three bench planes, a plow plane, two rabbit planes, a shoulder plane, two router planes, a block plane, two tongue and groove planes, and a few molding planes. If you drop the cash for the lot, it would be a pretty expensive exercise at a premium workshop but I think it gives an excellent guideline of what kind of toolkit you'll need to acquire over time. I think you'd do well to check against his list before making purchases, and to carefully consider whether the next tool you want to buy is closing gaps in your arsenal or duplicating existing ones. It's hard to put down a sexy new bronze bench plane when you've just picked it up, but if you don't have a rabbit plane, perhaps a rabbiting block plane or a shoulder plane will give you a lot more utility. Right at this early stage, I particularly like the treatment of the bevel up versus bevel down debate. It's relevant early on in the book, and it's probably going to inform a lot of your buying decisions. Chris gives his view on premium planes and eastern planes, and it's possible that some of this change, but I think he's bang on about the fact that essentially you have a trade-off between cost and time. If you value your money more than your time, he'll take you through the basics of getting a plane in order from a flea market to the workshop, and he'll drop some handy type advice if you're a Stanley fan. If I covered each section of this book in detail and told you what was in this chapter, I'm afraid this podcast would be hours long. So instead I'm going to take one chapter, which is kind of representative of the thoroughness of the author. It's called The Truth About Block Planes. So let's take a look at what's covered. The different kinds of block planes are covered. Bed angle, adjustable mouth, blade adjuster, lateral adjusters, solid beds, and sizes. How to sharpen, whether to camber or not and a pictorial of how the author relieves his edges. Then there's another pictorial on the impact of camber at different bedding angles. Where bevels are covered, the ruler trick is in there, setting the block plane up to cut, basic uses of the tool, using sacrificial blocks for end grain, oiling the plane, using toothing blades, how to do chamfers with or without a guide, how to shoot small plots, and how to level legs. In fact, there's pretty much everything you could think of about the plane all the way through to the end of the chapter where you get some advice on sharpening pencils. It's a hallmark of this book that if a topic is covered, it's covered exhaustively. The book is called Handplane Essentials, but when reading it, you get the impression it could easily have been called the Handplane Bible 
or the Handplane Encyclopedia in parts. If you compare it to other books in the market, it's possible that you'll find some gaps in terms of trivia and history, but in terms of concepts, techniques and usage, as well as comprehensiveness of cover, the book has everything you require in it. If you've got a question or want a recommendation, the book probably covers it. Skipping ahead to the section on smoothers, the book covers all the topics you'd expect, and at the end of the chapter, there's a review on Veritas's Bevel Up Smoother, the Lai Nielsen No. 4 with the High Angle Frog, the Lee Nielsen No. 3, and a kit-based infill plane from Shepherd Tool Company, as well as a pre-built infill plane from Old Street Tools. And this is just what's included in the smoother chapter. There's a whole section of reviews at the end of the book, which we'll talk about in due course. The next plane up is a scrub plane. I was glad to see the reference to the German Bismarck horn plane here. I think if given the chance, I'm a bit of a scrub plane evangelist. It's one of my favourite tools. It's a chapter that shows a hallmark of Chris's writing, his curiosity. I remember an anecdote from another book. I'm pretty sure it's mechanics exercises, but I could be wrong. Regardless, he tells how he visited a building with a tunnel underneath it, and that the estate agent didn't know where the tunnel went. He did some soul searching, but eventually passed up the opportunity to buy the property, and left the mystery behind. You can feel the angst it caused him. In many ways, while Chris is known as a journalist and editor, it might be that his legacy to history will be as an investigative historian. The scrub plane chapter is treated as the mystery it is, and he relentlessly tracks down the origins of what he calls the curious scrub plane. I guess if you're just looking for a technique and buyer's guide here, you could skip the section and jump ahead. But I think there's something special about following the trail and learning about the law. I guess I might be biased here. I felt it was necessary to make a tool before I reviewed making wood tools, and one of the things that I did over December last year was to make my first two wooden hand planes. And right now, as I mill panels for my daughter's wardrobe, I'm gleefully employing them as I scrub some rough sawn lumber. Makes me smile to think that ultimately this piece of furniture is going to have been made by me, and made with at least one tool that was made by me as well. If you're not interested in making a wooden scrub yourself, there's some excellent coverage about the difference between the Lee Nielsen plane and the Veritas, and some historical catalogues in investigative journalism. In terms of setting up techniques, there's some excellent coverage on how to get your plane ready using hand, eye, ears, and some small scraps of wood. There's decent coverage of the way to go about this with both wooden bodied and metal bodied planes. Wood grain and understanding it in the context of a plane is well covered, as is the necessary mentality for smoothing with a plane, and I think this is well positioned to make sure the user doesn't obsess with flatness and understands it in the context of removing, truing, and smoothing. Odd little articles include the case for corrugations on the soles, whether you should rest your tool on its side or not, or how to go about making your own hand plane cabinet. How you should construct the cabinet and how it should be sized. There's even a tutorial on the genius of French cleats and how to put these together. Like the anarchist tool chest, you're not getting out of this book with at least some construction projects. There's a section of this book that deals with sharpening, covers a lot of the issues, and as you know I'm a fan of Ron Hock's book on the subject, but there's a lot of courage here on sharpening. It's not as clearly organized as Ron's book, feels like a loose collection of blog posts or related articles about sharpening, but there's a lot in here from scrub plane blades to router blades, an interesting segue on how Lee Valley laps their plane blades, cryogenic treatment, advice on honing guides, sharpening scrapers, etc. In particular, the advice on honing guides is a great section, and will help you choose the right one for you. But I wish there had been a more systematic treatment of the subject. If I pick one area of the book 
They could be reorganized and expanded. This is the section I'd redo. Certainly think there's enough in here to get you started, but I'd suggest this is the part of the book that could do with some supplementing. That could be a dedicated book, but to be frank it could also just be a bit of YouTube videos or some research. I think you'll gravitate to the sharpening sections that are of interest to you and get a decent bit of advice on the topic. However, I'll forgive Chris for these gaps because the next section is truly great. It's a section on planning techniques and it's broken into a few subsections. Getting things flat, getting things smooth, dealing with edges, dealing with joints. And then just for good measure, at the end of this part of the book, we get advice on mouldings. This is the meat of the book. As we go through the techniques to accomplish the tasks, you'll typically perform yourself in the workshop. And it's in detail. Where it matters, there's an abundance of pictures to take you through every step of the process. If you can find a master cabinet maker to teach you in person, it'll probably be better. But if you want to rely on a book, this is one of the best I've read on the subject of techniques. There are a few helpful exercises, there's some ideas, and some detailed coverage on how to avoid common mistakes. There's a lot covered, but I think the fact that he has a dedicated section on making plain friendly panels, as well as flattening your workbench, and that he steps you through the entire process, should give you some idea of the practical type of articles you'll find in the book. The smoothing section covers a mind-boggling variety of topics, from the Kato study in Japan, to taming tear out by using high angle frogs. It's all in here. And it's really nice to have some pictures of curly maple attacked with different bedding angles. It drives home the point of how a frog will change your capabilities with tough woods. There's also some troubleshooting advice and it's all supported with decent photos to demonstrate points. Edges are dealt with using a variety of planes and he covers edge trimming planes and joint defenses in some detail as well as covering techniques like the spring joint. Likewise, the section on joinery takes topics like improving your dovetails with a philister plane or making stop dados with a router plane. I like the article on planning a dovetail box. I think it gives some practical advice on how to use your planes through a variety of steps on a common project. There's a decent amount of detail on moulding planes and some interesting topics like raising panels on chamfering. Then we're off to the two remaining sections, history and philosophy and reviews. These sections have all the pros and cons of the rest of the book amplified in some manners. So if we look at history, you'll find a really interesting article on the 12-step program for smoothing planes. And then right next to it, there's a historical investigation of four planes. Then we jump back to philosophy and learn how Chris tries a new tool every year. The history articles in particular are disjointed and thorough at the same time. So there's a, a phenomenal article on the Sindelar tool connection, which is really, really interesting but in no ways is it a systematic treatment of the subject. You'll find some strange juxtapositions here, like the history of hand plane adjusters being right next to outer planes, or a toothing plane, followed by a story about the most expensive plane ever sold, or how to choose a vintage hand plane. I think this section is best treated as some anecdotes, some fireside reading when you just want to expand your general knowledge about a few interesting tidbits in history. The review section has got some really interesting stuff in it though. So there's a lot here where you get comparisons of Veritas versus Lee Nielsen, low angle jack planes for example, or Clifton bench planes. And you get a sense of the evolution of the articles here. So while Clifton might be topical at one part, we then go on to the Stanley Sweetheart planes new line, and you get a review of those. There's some interesting stuff in here, some exotic planes, um, but I like the stuff like the joinery planes. I found earlier in the book that things like shoulder planes and plow planes had almost been excluded. 
But here we have a, a good review of premium shoulder planes. We have a good review of the Veritas small plow plane. We have Philister's, routers, rabbits, molding planes, and some of the speciality planes, like the shootboard plane from Lee Nelson. There's a lot to cover, but in conclusion, Handplane Essentials is 352 pages long. It's written by Christopher Schwarz, and you can find the book at Amazon.com or the usual places. As at February 2020, it costs $37 for the physical book and $33 for the Kindle version. If you're committed to hand tools, this is a great addition to your library. It's got a lot of information in it, and it's written in an engaging style. I think anyone who's interested in planes will find it useful. So on to the ratings. I'd rate the book as a 7 or an 8 out of 10 for history. The book has a lot of topics, and while it suffers a bit from inconsistencies in depth of coverage and organization of topics, there's a lot of information here, and you'll probably find it has the relevant information somewhere in the book. I'll give it a 7.5 out of 10 for coverage, as I feel it lacks consistency on the depth of coverage, and there were some topics such as shoulder planes that I felt had been neglected. You can find a bit of coverage on those when you get to the review section at the end, but it's really not where you'd expect it in the book, and it would be quite easy to miss it. The instructional section is practical, and it takes you through the basics well. It's certainly accessible, and I feel it's a good treatment of the, all the key topics, so I'm giving that an 8. I think this is a really good section of the book. So overall, the book would be an 8 out of 10 for me. Even those ratings don't convey the ease and sheer joy of reading the book. It's light, easy reads. You could pick it up every night and read a little bit, read a bit here, read a bit there. Really easy to pick up and enjoy. I guess if I have a gripe about the book, it's the somewhat eclectic selection and treatment of topics. I guess it's the nature of the book. There's good stories, engaging sections, and a great style of writing. But I do think that it would have benefited from a more systematic approach. Anyway, so that's it for now, Woodworms. And remember, go do some coarse, medium, and fine planning, and keep reading. If you have any comments or suggestions, perhaps a favorite book you'd like to suggest or one you're considering buying that you'd like me to review, send me an email at handtoolbookreview at gmail.com. And if you'd like to support the show, you can find me on Patreon. Any contributions will go to support the purchase of books for the library and future episodes.